This is a Federal News Network podcast. What a week it was for the Defense Department, caught in a tug of war between the White House and seemingly everyone else when it came to riot reaction. Plus, some tough reports on the potential costs of a space National Guard and the state of cybersecurity of weapons systems. We get the latest from DOD Reporter's Notebook writers, Jared Serbu and Scott Mossioni. So, Jared, why don't we start with you with this idea of did top DOD officials testify before the House Armed Services Committee? There's some blowback from events of last week. You know, Tom, at every time a, a new DOD official goes before the Senate Armed Services Committee to testify for their confirmation, one of the first questions they get, I think literally the first question they get is, do you promise to come to the Hill and testify whenever we call you? And everyone just answers yes. I've never even considered it anything but a totally, you know, pro forma question because I've never seen it come up in the 10 years I've been covering DOD, but it did indeed come up last week. The House Armed Services Committee says that they had asked Secretary Esper and and uh, Joint Chiefs Chairman Mark Milley to come up and testify this week about what's been going on as far as military use of force uh, during the protests. And that has not happened. DOD denies that um, that they have refused. But, you know, nonetheless, as of now, no hearing is scheduled. And, you know, th- this this request from the House Armed Services Committee, the way it's phrased is really not a request. It's come on, guys, we need to hear from you. The, the next best thing here would be to uh, get an informal off the record uh, briefing off of cameras. So that that may still happen. In fact, there was one tentatively scheduled for yesterday, Monday. We, we, we don't know for sure whether that happened yet, but but still a pretty significant controversy I've never quite seen before. It's somewhat understandable from DOD's perspective that they don't want these gentlemen up on, on you know, in, in front of TV cameras, lest they say something that may contradict the president's views, which is quite possible, but, but, but still a fairly unprecedented situation in recent times anyway. Yeah, that did come up last week when Esper said he didn't think there should be troops, you know, active duty troops deployed against some of the protesters or rioters, and I guess they were all mixed up there. And that went against what the White House was saying. But, and there was a little controversy. But Esper so far is still the defense secretary. So far. And it's, it's a nuanced thing, right? I mean, all, all Esper really said is he doesn't think it's time to invoke the Insurrection Act, which would call for right. the, you know, the use of active duty military troops. And, and you know, I, I think to some degree here, DOD should want to get out in front of the public and explain some of these nuances, because there is a lot of confusion among people who don't track the, the differences between Title 32 authorities and Title 10 authorities and state active duty and law enforcement authorities. And, you know, from the perspective of the average person, there are just uniformed military-like people. People in the streets, and and many people view those people view those folks as acting in ways that that you know violate their civil rights. So DOD should want to get out in front and explain things here. I think. All right, and Scott, uh, there was some cold water regarding the cost of a space national guard. Should that come out? They got the space force finally up and running, and they're doing things. But there's no space national guard, and it's not going to come cheap, is it? Definitely not going to come cheap. Now the estimate that they're giving us the at least the Congressional Budget Office is also pretty wide ranging. So um, not exactly something they're nailing down yet. And that really just depends on what the Space National Guard is going to look like. Uh, the Space National Guard is something that the Space Force wants. It's something that they've said from the very beginning that they want to do, but they have not yet put forth a proposal for this. So what CBO says is that it could cost between $120 million and $1.4 billion. So 10 to one, right? Right. That's a, that's a $1.2 billion spread there. Uh, and the reason for that is because the proposals are, are very different. One would just transfer 1500 existing national guard personnel into the space national guard. That's pretty easy. It costs about a hundred million dollars plus 20 million for 
construction of new facilities, things like that. A much more expensive option would be creating a Space National Guard that's one-third the size of the Space Force. And if you remember, the Space Force was supposed, well, once it's fully you know, operational, will be about 16,000 people. So, uh, you know, they're, they're thinking this approach would be about 4,900 to 4,800 personnel. CBO thinks that that would be between 385 million to 490 million. Then you have to add on the extra 400 to 900 million for constructing facilities and equipping new units. So a lot to grapple with and uh, something we'll see once they finally get that report out. Yeah, and they'd complain they get all the old satellites after they're all worn out. We're speaking <laughs> with Federal News Network's DOD reporters, Scott Massioni and Jared Serbu. And Jared, the ongoing issue of cybersecurity and weapons systems, that came up also, didn't it? Yeah, this is part of the, the annual GAO report on the status of DOD acquisition programs. And, and one of the interesting things I, I thought that, that was in there about it was, as you say, cybersecurity of weapons platforms, you know, as distinct from cybersecurity in IT systems themselves. DOD has been talking a big game about this for, I would say, the last five or six years. And there was a congressional mandate back in 2016 that said, hey, guys, you need to look through all of your major defense acquisition systems and do cybersecurity analyses of, of, of how secure they actually are, how, the, how vulnerable they might be to an enemy. Of the 42 systems that GAO looked at, since 2016, they could only find four where DOD has actually done those, those analyses. And there's no real explanation for that. There are several different types of analyses and evaluations that DOD does. There's another type that, that actually is called a cybersecurity evaluation. DOD's done those on 28 out of the 42 programs, but still not, not anywhere close to the, the full gamut of the 42. And so, yeah, I think the upshot is DOD and the military services have certainly talked a big game on this for the past several years, but not completely checking all the boxes. Part of what might be going on here is it's been more difficult to apply cybersecurity rigor to some of these systems that have been under development for longer periods of time, you know, older than that five or six year benchmark I talked about. And and they're probably doing a little bit better on on things that have just gotten to the drawing board in the past couple years, but um, not a lot of evidence that they've done a ton of work to make these systems more secure. All right. And with respect to other things that move like service members and their permanent change of station assignments, DOD is looking at maybe reimbursing people for doing it yourself, packing up the ashtrays with the butts in it, as opposed to the normal way that it's been done with the pre-selected movers. Yeah, and the issue here, Tom, is as so many of these PCS moves during the spring season were canceled because of COVID, and the natural consequence of that is those all get just backlogged into the summer months, which is already the peak season. So U.S. Transportation Command obviously expecting a huge strain on the moving system, so they're trying to do everything they can to offload some of that workload onto individual service members and maybe even commercial moving companies who are not part of the DOD contracted moving system. So essentially what they, they are doing here is saying, if you want to move yourself, rent a U-Haul, do whatever, take care of it yourself, we will pay you 100% of what the government would have paid a mover. That was something you could have done before, but that, that reimbursement was capped at 95%, raising it to 100%. Uh, obviously raises the incentive to do it yourself, because if you can do it for less than what the government would spend, you, you can pocket some money out of that. Got it. And finally, Scott, in the brief time we have left, the unions of federal employees want things in the National Defense Authorization Act, as so many different parties do. This is something I think is 
kind of new for the NDAA. What are they asking for? Yeah, well, this is, uh, I think, probably one of the most important things for them right now because it really has to do with their whole survival. The AFGE, the American Federation of Government Employees, put out this letter of 12 proposals to Congress about the NDAA. And one of the things that they really want is to make sure that they still can do collective bargaining. Uh, President Trump in early 2020 put out a memo giving the defense secretary the authority to exclude DOD civilian employees from the Federal Service Labor Management Relations Statute, which allows unions to really just bargain on behalf of federal workers. So without that, AFGE would be in some serious trouble losing about 300,000 employees that they cover. So outside of that, a few other things they're asking for, expanding federal family leave. And, you know, obviously that would help with morale not only morale, but it would just help with people's lives. And, and finally, just a, a smaller thing, uh, they're, they're asking the committee to support the correction of overly broad definition of commercial items. And the uh, Defense Department said that this is something that they also want changed. They think that um, it's adding to the excessive costs growth and some readiness problems. So if they could get that fixed, uh, they think it'll, it'll be helpful for both sides. Federal News Network, Scott Massioni and Jared Serbu, thank you. Check out their DOD Reporter's Notebook at Federal News Network. When you think about something that brings out the best in us, it usually involves helping someone else. By donating plasma at a Griffel Center, you can help save millions of lives and show your good side to the world. You'll join thousands of people who donate safely each week, so patients get the plasma-derived medicines they rely on. And you'll be rewarded up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at grifflesplasma.com. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.